sports interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. I'm Andrew Berkshire, and oh my goodness, guys. Uh, I know that I said last episode that it felt a little bit like Dominique Ducharme was back in charge, and it was that era again. But I have to laugh because I, I, I think it was like two days ago. I forget who it was, but I was reading just my Twitter timeline trying to catch up on things in between, you know, playing with the kids and, and making dinners and making lunches. And someone had mentioned, like, even mentioned to me, you know, Mark Bergevin did leave the team in a good situation. I think they were talking about prospects, and frankly, after a decade, still not the best situation. But uh, if you look at the team on the ice, oh, man. There's a lot of dead weight to be carried around here, and it doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. And I know everybody's itchy. The trigger finger is going crazy. Everybody wants to get rid of all these vets, and I've seen some turning on Martin St. Louis. We're going to talk about that as well. But I got to tell everybody, if you're here, just let's try to chill. Let's try to bring some good vibes a little bit. Ian and I are going to debate a little bit tonight, I think, because we have uh, some differing takes from the end of the game tonight, but it's going to be a fun show, I promise. We're going to talk about Jacai keeping it simple, keeping it effective on the power play. I know his first his first uh, point here tonight, uh, the goal did not count as a power play goal, but let's face it, the guy wasn't back in play yet. It was a power play goal. Uh, second unit, just how they got that done compared to the first unit. Uh, we're going to talk about Joel Edmondson and his cross-check. Brandon Gallagher losing his composure at the end there as well. And, of course, Caden Gooley got hurt. I am so sorry, Gooley Nation. I think that one might be a while, unfortunately, the way he fell, uh, the way his knee got hurt. But uh, before we get into it and I bring in Ian Beauvais, I think you know the way it's going to go. I feel like if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan right now, you might want to just start betting on losses. Make your bet with Sports Interaction. Whether it's hockey, football, or basketball, Sports Interaction has you covered. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. You want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. 19 plus, please play responsibly. All right, folks, I'm going to bring in my guest now, and we're going to start off, first of all, welcoming Ian Boisvert to the show. Fan favorite, of course, and... I think Ian has been on the show more than anybody else this season so far. It's between him and Laura. Yeah, I think so. But we're going to start the show off with, with a bit of excitement. Joel Edmondson and Brandon Gallagher. I know people are upset about the way that, that game ended. Here's my take on it. Nobody in that room right now is bigger than those guys. I think they are huge in that room right now. The players on the team love what they did. I think that Brian Mudrick, I don't know if you were watching the TSN feed or not, Ian, made a way bigger deal out of the little Edmondson cross-check than it actually was. Yeah, it was dirty, but it was, it was a shove. Unfortunately, the linesman took the worst of that. That part sucks. That was brutal to watch. But it's a 7-2 to game, and Radko Gudis is out there. He hit Doc from behind twice. He's slashing them. He's trying to hit guys. He's trying to take guys' knees out. I love that Joel Edmondson did that. I'm sorry. And I feel like there are GMs across the NHL who saw what Joel Edmondson did there. And it goes from that. His value is declining a little bit. You know, the Stanley Cup final. 
is a little bit in the rear view too. Oh, it's back up. First round pick back on the table because Joel Edmondson did some dirty shit. I swear to God, it matters. <laughs> Intense, Marchand-esque. Like him, go he went with a low bridge hit. Um, and I, I don't, the Edmondson one's fine. I mean, he deserved that penalty from a, game management standpoint it makes sense that he got the gate like i don't really have an issue with that because the last thing you need is that turning into a street fight which it kind of already did anyway the gallagher one is where i kind of have an issue because it seemed like he was just pissed and he kind of just i don't want to say was selfish but he certainly lost a whole bunch of composure there um and then when he was down he took a couple pops in the head that i mean it's your first game back from injury and you're getting in a fight in the final minutes of a, of a lost cause like it's it was it's bad. It was a bad look from start to finish for the Canadians. The Gallagher one, far worse than not worse, but just far less excusable or explainable than the Edmondson one. Yeah, and I don't even mind the Gallagher one either because for me, what he's doing is he's coming back, and I thought all game he was trying to make his presence felt right. In the first period, he had a couple good chances. He was keeping plays alive, forechecking really hard, and as the game got out of the hand. He was trying to play to the final whistle, right? This game, mm -hmm. it might be over on the scoreboard, but too many guys were taking shifts off. Like, uh, was it Verhege who scored the last goal? That was that, that was, was like that inexcusable. Like how bad some of the goals were tonight in terms of just not paying attention to guys. And to me, Gallagher was trying to send a message to the team that like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm going to go out and do something stupid. I'm going to put my body on the line. To show everybody that you need to actually show up, even if it's a rebuild. Yeah. And I honestly, if it was a game where there was something at stake, say that it was like a one goal game and Gallagher mm -hmm. did something like that, then I say that's stupid, that's needless, sure, that's yeah. selfish. But in this situation, I think it was straight up him trying to send a message to a lot of players on that team, and I don't think it was the kids. No, I don't think I it think was the kids that you got to actually show up to these games. Yeah, and I think, you know, that shift, they came close to scoring. Like, he, you know, they didn't come super close all night. I think, I don't think they generated a five-on-five -five high danger chance until the third period. Um, <laughs> but I felt like, I felt like Gallagher was going to do something on that shift. He was going to put the puck in the net. He was going to create a goal, or he was going to do whatever he ended up doing. Um, you know, and I, you know, they had 41 minutes in penalties tonight, Montreal. Not a single one to Arbor Jackai, which is good for him. A little bizarre. It is, right? Like that's that's where, like, you know, from my perspective, looking at the composure argument of it, like is the one that we're on the most about taking dumb penalties, and he didn't take any. Doc took a couple dumb ones. Um, you know, Suzuki, we've seen him lose his composure a bunch over the last few games because I think that this is starting to wear on him um a lot as the cap. It's his first real litmus test as a captain. Um but yeah, I mean, it's like you said, if that if that was a one goal game and they put Florida on the power play in the last minute, you're kind of I'd probably be a lot more upset. But, you know, it's the most life they showed that entire game. Yeah. Yeah. And they did actually like they played oddly better in the third period once the game completely got out of control. Right. Like uh, that yeah. was the only period where they held the advantage in shots and expected goals. 
I actually thought the first period was pretty competitive. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of that was due to the Canadians getting a few power plays, but that's because Florida was playing sloppy, right? Like, they just didn't have composure. Second period, obviously, they took advantage and just took them to the woodshed. It was absolutely yeah. brutal. Yeah. But that's just been the Canadians lately. And, you know, uh, let's talk about... Because I want to talk about Arbor Jekai for sure. But because his is the positive story... Let's save it for the end. So we end on a mm-hmm. sweet note. Let's talk about Martin St. Louis. Cause I, I, there's a couple comments in the chat already asking like, is Martin St. Louis in over his head? And oh, uh, before I get that, Noel says, who do you think gave up the most during this game? Uh, I don't know if I would single out a specific player. I know there's a couple of people calling out like Dodonov and Druan, but actually those guys were actually among the only players who showed up yeah. tonight. It was that second power play unit that really, did stuff for the Canadians like Josh Anderson. I, I think the top line was, I mean, they got matched against Barkov, but yeah. he ate them alive. Yeah. Like it was disgusting. And I do think Martin St. Louis actually takes, should take a little bit of blame for what's happened. Like, I think doc was pretty bad against, uh, uh, Tampa Bay as well. And mm-hmm. so were Caulfield and Suzuki. Well, Caulfield I thought was actually pretty good, but, St. Louis does take a bit of blame for splitting up that line. Frankly, to me, he's kind of, he's broken up the only thing that was working in order to try to get more depth throughout the lineup, which makes sense if you're trying to win games and compete, but not if you're rebuilding and don't break something that's working at the top of your lineup to benefit the bottom of it. It's just not smart, but is Martin St. Louis in over his head? I will say I don't think that this coaching staff is the coaching staff that they will compete with, but Martin St. Louis will be around for that. It's They can't have all rookies on the bench, right? Yeah. Like Alex Burroughs has almost no experience. Stefan Robida has almost no experience. And Martin St. Louis has almost no experience as a coach. That's not a combination that accomplishes things there's a reason why they're the worst special teams club in the entire nhl right and everyone wants to blame alex burroughs for that burroughs is not in charge of the power play no nope. martin st louis is so in terms of the power play I, I will say that he is in over his head and he might need to have like a talk with somebody that like listen you may be the magician but like you're not doing a good job here we need somebody who's actually a tactician and not the rah-rah head coach like you need an exes and those guys guy on that coaching staff and Alex Burroughs hasn't proven to be that Stefan Robida hasn't proven to be that they no. need some experience in that coaching staff, whether it's now or two years from now, it's going to happen. Yeah. The, the, you know, it seemed like the penalty kill from its, you know, the standard penalty kill percentage had a strong start to the season, but it was buoyed by goaltending. Like Montembeau and Allen were, were dominating on the penalty kill at the beginning of the year. I tend to give, Stefan Robida a little bit of a of a pass just because like he's he's in charge of a defense score that's got five guys who didn't play in the NHL last season yeah. like it's he's given an impossible task and I think you know considering that like this defense has looked you know about what I expected to he's not a detriment to the team like this is what they were kind of always going to be um you know on the other hand like you know, I know Alex Burroughs isn't in charge of the power play. They need to find a power play coach. It is, it is, it is a massive glaring hole. I mean, I, I think of like the NFL, like there's special teams coaches for a reason. Like those things matter 
you know, everyone wants to everyone wants to talk about five on five. Five on five stats obviously are the most telling of overall, you know, driving of play and possession because that's where you spend most of the game. But those two minutes where your team cannot generate anything and you have an extra guy on the ice is killing their momentum. It's killing it's killing the attitude on this team. I think if Nick Suzuki gets asked one more time about the power play, I think he might just walk out. Like he's <laughs> he's exhausted, like answering for this power play. Um you know, and like I said, Alex, and you said Alex Burroughs isn't running the power play. What Alex Burroughs does run oftentimes is those six on five situations at the end of the game. When they call timeout to drop a play, he's the one drawing up the play. And they haven't looked great in those situations either. Oh, Ian, let's not let's not sugarcoat it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they look bad. And six on the five, time, they are astonishingly bad. And the one time that they scored, Suzuki said after the game that Druen made a play that Burroughs didn't draw up. He said he found a better read, and he passed it cross-ice to Caulfield. I feel like that was the Philadelphia game. I can't remember. Yeah. I think, but weren't you on for that one? I might have been. It was an I, o- think, I think I was on for the Pittsburgh overtime game. Different oh, Pennsylvania series. Yeah, so, like, they need, you know, and it's not so much of a need right now because the, the parts that are going to be on that power play and are going to be central to it are there. Caulfield and Suzuki are there. Doc will likely be involved in that. I I don't know what the point man is going to be. And I think that might move us into the conversation about Arbor Jackai because like for all of the things he doesn't do particularly well, the power play just seems to get results when he's out there. Like damned be the numbers, damned to be all of those, you know, important metrics. Like he's just, the puck just goes in when he's out there. Um, So yeah, I, I don't know if St. Louis in over his head. He's very green. We have to remember that. Um, on the last episode of the build, I kind of talked about how I'd like to see him call a timeout every once in a while to calm his team down, especially in those situations where they give up two goals in 30 seconds. Like, call call a timeout. You, you can't take them with you. Like, call a timeout, settle them down, try to re- regain some of their confidence. I'm not saying to do, like, what Sheldon Keefe does, where the team is up three to two, and he's calling a timeout because they're losing, you know, they're losing their minds out there. But there are things that he can adjust and and grow. And we have to just kind of accept that. Like he's brand new at this. Yeah, 100 percent And I feel like he did call timeouts a lot more when he first took over. Mm-hmm. Just to settle things down. Like that was one of my criticisms of Ducharme. Was you have spurts where you allowed like three goals in three minutes and he'd just sit there and stare yep. off into the void, not talking to anyone. You know, not like touching the guys and telling them like on their shoulders and saying like, this is what we got to do. Yeah. What do you pay attention to this? This is what they're doing. None of that. His assistants also disengaged. So to see that happening now where they're just kind of letting things fall as they may is a little bit concerning. But again, long term, at the end of the day, I think that the like the concern around Marty St. Louis right now is created by the poor exp- or the elevated expectations from the early season when they were mm-hmm. doing these like crazy comebacks at the end of games and winning games that they really shouldn't have been and like frankly the Canadians are not a good team they are yeah. in terms of expected goals one of the worst teams in the league only the Co- Coyotes and the Ducks are worse than them their expected goals this year coming into this game and they will be worse after this game are 40.87%. Like, that's their share of expected goals so far. And their actual goals is 42.15. It used to be a lot higher. 
they were, you know, getting pretty lucky. The goalies were really bailing them out. That's happening less and less often now. Uh, I feel bad for Montembeau in this one. I know the expected goals yeah. were only like three and a half or something, but I, I feel like there's not really many goals that you can fault him on. Maybe one yeah, or two, but uh, it, it's what was expected to happen based on that beginning of the season. Like if you were to ask in September versus the end of October, it just wildly changed for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And what's happening right now, obviously you don't want to see them losing like five, six, seven in a row, but this stretch is closer to what most people should have expected at the beginning of the year than what they did in October and most of November. It's unfortunate because it's brutal to watch. It's brutal for us to talk about and create content that's enjoyable for people to watch or, or read or listen to. But this is who the Montreal Canadiens are right now with some like fun stuff from Caulfield, Suzuki, and Doc when they're on. Unfortunately... They're not on right now. You get to focus on things like Jordan Harris and uh, Justin Barron having like decent games. Arbor Jacki coming out of his like cocoon where he came in and he was just all I'll kill everyone, and then he like was like, "Hey, hold on, I can calm down and actually have an impact on games without taking penalties." <laughs> like that's really cool to see. But it's it's small stuff that you have to grasp onto to get through an 82 game season, which it's frankly a grind for every team, right? Like yeah. even for a good team, 82 games, is a lot of games. Yeah. And they're not even halfway home. Like no. they, there's a, there's a lot of hockey left. And if you follow, you know, if you've ever been on tankathon, they have a strength of schedule metric. The Canadians have the second hardest schedule remaining. The only yeah. team that has a harder schedule is the New York Rangers. Florida's four for those following the tank at home. Like, you know, there's, you know, not to quote Mike Babcock, but there's pain coming. Like, this is going to be a hard season. And, you know, I wasn't, I I didn't go into the season expecting to care about the results. Losses are losses, right? Like, I don't, we expected them to lose. I think we kind of expected that the process would be a little bit easier. The process would be, we would see more progress, like, substantially throughout the season. You know, we and we've had instances of that, like Gooley showing up and being great has been as good as he's been, like rather surprising. Yeah. Um, you know, Kirby Doc, I was kind of I was a little bit more bearish um than others were. Like I I, I was kind of like, oh, let's just see how he works out. He's been phenomenal. Like Kirby Doc has, has been a great pickup for Montreal. Um, you know, early on in the season, the Suzuki and Caulfield were scoring at will. Now all that's calmed down and there's really not too, too much to, to look at and go, oh, this is going well. I mean, Mike Hoffman had two primary assists tonight. If you want to, you know, find something to get excited about, that's your guy. Yeah, I think Hoffman is is the best like reclamation project they've managed this year where St. Yes. Louis patience to continue to put him in good situations has paid off. I feel like he's consistently been a good player. Whereas I don't think there was any point last year where I could I could say that about no. him. Does he still make terrible passes? Yeah, because he's a terrible passer. But he's doing a lot of good stuff out there. Like frankly, I, I'm really impressed with with the way that Mike Hoffman has come back from the dead a little bit this year. Yeah, and that's something you can't say about a Yoel Armia who yeah, Marty Saint Louis has put in some really good situations to try to fix this. He's given him power play time. He's played him on the top line. He's played him on the second line. 
and it's just it's not going in for him. If it didn't go in for him on his 420th game where he could have scored his 69th goal, it's never going to go in. He was this close to being the ultimate meme lord in NHL history, but unfortunately. The nicest goal that ever happened. It just wasn't going to happen. And yeah, I know a few people actually bet on that. I did. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought about it and then I didn't, but I was like, I should I up- really bet on UL Armia? <laughs> I've taken up Steve's uh, idea of you bet $2. I put $2 on things. So that was a $2 bet on you allowing me to score. So it's not money I'm missing. That's all right. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I know uh, Kay brought up a good point in in the chat here. She says, uh, actually, it was back further. She says, I think that's part of why the players look so mad and upset. They fooled themselves into thinking they were better than what they are. That's definitely true. And, mm-hmm. like, it's hard to fault them for that because you want them to have that kind of confidence, right? I don't think you can be an elite athlete and successfully play out there when you come into work every day thinking that there's no way to win, right? Or that you're a terrible team. Like (coughs) you look at what happened in Buffalo for so long and how many players like quote unquote lost their love of the game. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you have to have a thought of winning. In your head. Yeah. And like, you know, that that goes to a point, right? And like, I know Joel Edmondson got clowned on a little bit at the beginning of the year when he at the golf tournament said, you know, the rebuild was last year. We're, we're going to be a playoff. We're going to try to be a playoff team this year. Or we expect to be a playoff team this year. You know, like, I can't really fault them for thinking that because the alternative is them thinking that this season is going to be one of the most miserable years of their lives. And like, that's not fair to expect of human beings. Um, you know, we, everybody has bad days at work. Imagine if your bad days at work had you sit in a stadium full of 20,000 people and you had to answer to the media about it afterwards. Like it's not, it's not the same. Um, there's a human element to all of this that makes it very complicated for me to be like, you know, full tank, strip the team down, lose, lose the remaining, you know, 50 some odd games yeah, that's cold and calculated and it's analytical and it's thought process and it makes sense from a um, value acquisition standpoint. But these aren't, you know, these aren't PlayStation avatars. These are these are human beings who then will need to flip the switch soon to becoming a competitive team. That's a lot harder to do. Um, you know, it's it's a lot hard. It, you can build a team and have a lot of good players. And if you have players on there like the like the Buffalo Sabres who just lost so much, that it, it's really hard to turn that around. It, it is, you know, and even this year, right? Like the Buffalo Sabres still, with a guy like Tage Thompson leading the pack, are not over the hump. They're not in a playoff position. They're, let's nope. see, the last wild card spot is a tie between the Rangers and the Islanders for 44 points. Buffalo, Buffalo is still eight points out, right? Like Florida also eight points out, but three fewer games than Buffalo. Like, if you want to take a positive from this game, right? At least it wasn't a three-point game. Yes. Th- think think about the draft, right? And right now, the Florida Panthers are literally one win ahead of the Montreal Canadiens in the standings. Like that's all. Yeah, they this are. was the rubber match. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so, it, like, know- yeah, giving them that, I feel like it was. It would have been better if the Canadians won this game because I have more confidence in them losing more down the stretch yeah. <clears throat> to give themselves a better draft position, but. For the Florida Panthers, who 
their underlyings say they are still a very good team. But watching them tonight, they're so sloppy. And the goaltending that helped them out last year just ain't there anymore. Like, they've got to hop Buffalo. They've got to hop Detroit. And then they have to hop two of the New York teams or the Penguins, who are at 44 points. Like, they are four or five teams out of it. And you, you talk about that being an insurmountable thing to do. The other way for the Canadians to get down into, like, the bottom, bottom of the league. They're 13 points ahead of the Chicago Blackhawks, who are 1-9 and nine in their last 10. Somehow even worse than the Canadians have been. So the Canadians are going to need a little bit of lottery luck this year from both of those picks. <coughs> and uh, they're going to have to move down the standings a little bit if they want to get one of those top guys. And I got to tell you, Ian, watching a bit of the World Juniors, I, I really, really want to talk about Connor Bedard every night. I really want that to be part of my job is to come on here every night and talk about what Connor Bedard did on the ice at the Bell Center. Yeah, it would be it would be spectacular. And you know, I we're I don't think they're catching the Blackhawks. No. I don't I I think currently they sit seventh last. Um Ottawa won tonight in overtime against the Washington Capitals, so that kind of gives them a little bit of separation between them and the teams above them. Um but, like, I can see them falling maybe as far as fifth because Arizona's looked surprisingly good the last little while. Um, you know, I don't know that they'll catch San Jose, but they've also looked, you know, better at times. I don't think they're as bad as, as um, their record has shown. So, I mean, like, there's, there's some room for them to move down. But, again, like, if you take – if that Florida pick is also in the draft lottery, I mean, it's it seems silly, but like the Canadians' chances if they're in like fifth place, and the, the you know the Panthers are somewhere from like tenth to you know thirteenth, they might have as good odds to win that first overall pick as a team in third, as a team in that lower part of the the draft lottery because they acquired that pick. Thank you, Ben Sherratt. Like that, that I mean, we're we're not talking about that enough, and we're already talking about that a lot, like. I think a team that, like, I think Florida's good. I think a team that gives up an unprotected pick a year away for a Ben Sherratt-type player is a team headed for disaster in any sense of the word. Yeah, I mean, you look at what the Panthers have put together and what should be a cup contender, and they do that, and then they hire Paul Maurice. You know, it's, like... It's kind of inexcusable. Like, like their their interim coach was... He got he got a lot out of that team, um, you know. I think the goal, you know, Sergey Bobrovsky always goes good year, bad year. This seems like it's kind of a bad year. I think he's under nine hundred at the moment. Um, at least he was coming into the game. So I mean, I don't I don't know if Florida finishes, you know, in a legit contender as a as a draft lottery team. It still is really really funny that they were able to get that pick at all. I mean, shall we talk about the fact that the Montreal Canadiens broke the Florida Panthers? Because heading into the last game of the season last year, their record yeah. was 58-17-6. And since then, they've got what? Like, let's see. Two losses in the first round, another four, so seven losses with four wins. Add that to what they have this year, so they're at 20-23-4. and four. Gross. Like, that's a pretty big drop in terms of execution. And you know, there's a different coach there, and 
lost a few players in the offseason. I think Anthony Duclair hasn't played yet this year. But the Panthers are not looking great, frankly. And I know they won big tonight, but uh, let's face it, that was against a team that's even looking less great. So, yeah, yeah it, it's not a good scene there to not have a first-round pick this year. So, there is positivity. And speaking of positivity, let's let's talk about Arbor Jacai. Because when the Canadians were still in this game, in the first period, a big reason why they were in it was Arbor Jacai. Both from scoring the goal, uh, from simplifying things on the power play, uh, when the second unit struck a second time, he kept that play alive a few times. And when it was at five on five, he was destroying people yeah. completely legally. His reverse hit on Lusterinen was devastating. He buried Nick Cousins twice, which is fantastic. Love to see it. Love to see it. <laughs> but like again tonight, like I believe he finished top among the Canadians in, in uh, game score. I don't know what his uh, underlying numbers were, but probably decent. Let's see. Uh, not great, but. Nobody was great tonight. Uh, but overall, like he kept things composed. He made a lot of good defensive plays. Hit the power play, like a lot a lot of folks, I think, focus on the wrong thing in like trying to fix the power play. Like, oh well, his shot from the point, you need that. You don't. No. Modern power plays don't use shots from the point anymore. That's just not a thing. And like Oh, he's great at getting a shot through. He's actually not. <laughs> Under 50% of his shots get through. But the fact is, he keeps things really simple back there, and he moves the puck quickly and decisively, and the first unit doesn't do that. They're constantly trying to wait for lanes. And the I think it was Jack Eye's goal in the first period where they just, like, him, Dodonov, and was it Druin on the first goal? Or was it Hoffman? I, it was Druin and Hoffman because Hoffman ended up with a primary assist on that one. Okay, I thought it was Dodonov on there. But either way, the three of them formed a triangle up in an area that wasn't dangerous, and they just fired the puck around really quickly. Yeah, got things moving, and Jack I took a shot, and it went in like that kind of decisive action where you're making quick passes, forcing players to react, is what creates goal scoring. And the first yeah. unit, it, it they just they're slow. They're slow. Yeah. Yeah, the worst decision is indecision, right? Like they're just they they cannot figure out what they want to be. I've been on this show a bunch this year. When the power play was working, I said they they had two they had two plays. They had get the puck to Cole and let him shoot it, which has not worked since that since it did work earlier on in the year. It's been very ineffective. And they had the you know the Nick Suzuki come out of the zone and break back in at full speed and get a shot on net. They're not doing either of those right now. Like they're just, they're not generating anything anywhere. And those two things aren't working. So I think they're just kind of, they, they, they look frozen. They look like they don't know what to do, which is like, it, you know, we, we talk about Marty St. Louis. It's an indictment on coaching. As much as this is a coach, you know, a, a team with a very young coaching staff, it's National Hockey League. Like you're not going to get a ton of sympathy from people, you know, well, he's brand new at this. Well, Marty St. Louis played a lot. And Alex Burroughs has played a lot. And Stefan Roby does play a lot. Like those guys played in this league. They should understand like how to speak to players and how to get them to understand the game plan on a power play. But again, like I find it challenging because, you know, 
for the for the for most of my life this power play sucked like it's <laughs> it's a problem it's a problem that has spanned coaching staffs and cores and general managers like because i don't know if they ever since like you know it was carbono as as the the coach like that 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 team scored on like a fourth of their power plays like they just they don't have that anymore to bring it back to a positive you know i, I think i mentioned it earlier like arbor jack I, I don't know that it necessarily like statistically makes sense that it works but it just does like i think he i think he wants to move the puck off his stick as soon as he gets it which isn't a bad idea on the power play because getting people moving laterally is a good idea um and you know when his puck you know you mentioned that a lot of his shots don't make it to the net it seems like the ones that do just go in yes like, they do you know what I, yeah he's on a heater he can't deny in. it <clears throat> yeah line goes up puck goes in like there's no there's no rhyme or reason for it but i think in order to get this team some confidence on their power play again trotting him out there and just having him put the puck at the net might be the best option get people some free points see what happens what's the worst thing that's going to happen you go 0 for 4 again like the lack of creativity and thought has been really challenging to see this season because you'd think they'd have nothing to lose and yet they're they're they play the power play so conservatively they don't want to try to too much it's um it's tough to watch yeah it is. I mean, we talk about how bad the power play has been for so long. <clears throat> I just did a quick, like, running the numbers. From 2016-17 until now, one team that's played all of those seasons has a worse power play. Is it Detroit. Anaheim? No, it's Detroit. Detroit. Anaheim's know... 0.1% better. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because I think one of those seasons, I think it was the 50, you know, the 50-some-odd game season, they had the worst recorded power play in NHL history, the Anaheim Ducks. It operated at like a shade over 8%. Like it was like the fact that they had that kind of season and they're still better than the Canadians is a real indictment on like the last few years of the Bergevin regime and the beginning of this one. Like I know it's soon, but you got to fix it. You have to figure out a way to make this work. Yeah. I mean, you go back to the beginning of the Bergevin regime, 2012, 2013, that half shortened year, which I feel like that year... The power play was actually okay, mm-hmm. but uh, they're last. Dead last. 17.2% since 2012-13. So this is over 10 years that they've been bad. So it's Tight. it's spanned multiple cores, many power play coaches, many head coaches at this point. This is an organizational failure. And, you know, obviously it's not the... Um, be all end all of priorities right this moment but it does it does have to get a little bit better just to sap the confidence to not sap the confidence right like you see shoulder slump when they get a power play and that shouldn't be a feeling that you get um yeah, yeah noel says ghoulie injured did i miss something yes go uh caden ghoulie was hurt at the end of the game he got tangled up with barkov and barkov kind of fell on him with his uh, foot underneath um ghoulie's own foot underneath his thigh and so the pressure point was on the knee all the weight on the knee yeah. like squeezing his leg together uh probably a, a, a knee injury that'll keep him out a bit we don't know anything yet from what yeah. i've heard but uh we'll keep an he eye did on walk, it he did skate off and walk down the tunnel under his own power so if you're looking for some kind of bright um you know take on that that's probably as bright as that's gonna get yeah i mean josh george has played like 12 seasons with no acl so yeah, no, I mean, that was that's tough. I mean, if Gooley, we lost Gooley, I don't think Edmondson, Edmondson might get a suspension just because the NHL is weird. Um, I doubt he does, but 
You know, they were down to four defensemen to close out that game. And Lawrence Pilot is on waivers from the Buffalo Sabres. It's possible maybe Montreal has to make a claim just to to have a warm body, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah, it's a it's a tough situation. I, I think between the injuries to guys like Matheson and Monahan, like this team is thin at the best of times, and they've been tested. They kind of like blew all their good luck very early in the season, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and, and now it's just going to be a rough ride for a bit. I think the time that we will see this team start to play exciting hockey again is when Hughes and Gordon can move out some bodies and guys like Ulanen and Richard get spots in this lineup where they can actually prove things. But mm-hmm. that's also going to require St. Louis making some smart choices, right? Like, I know that uh, we all loved it for the memes, the idea of Armia being on the first line last night, but with how Richard played in his first couple of games, how was it not Richard getting a chance, right? Like bring some energy, bring something to the table. Armia, frankly, I know that they're trying to get him going, but he does not deserve the opportunities anymore. Like you've got to bring something to the table. And the hardest he played tonight was after the game was over, like the last couple of minutes. And he did like a little four check behind the net. And I, I, I just caught myself thinking, it would be the most perfect situation for Yoel de Armia to finally break his goal slump at a point where nothing in the game matters anymore. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not I'm not a proponent of putting Yuri Slavkovsky on the top line just yet, but what has Armia done that Slavkovsky hasn't? Right? Like I don't I I don't see there's it, it was really just a situation where St. Louis was just looking at Armia like, "Come on, big guy, you've got to give me something. Like you have to give me something. I'm going to put you in a really great spot." And he was invisible against Tampa mm-hmm. and he was invisible again tonight. Like, and I, I hate harping on the guy because it seems like, you know, it seems like this mark, every market really just jumps from one guy to another as, you know, the guy that this, this fan base just puts into the ground. Like you mentioned earlier, people were on Dodonoff and Drew and it's a day that ends in why like the, those guys are always going to be, you know, goats on this team. Um, Armia is very firmly in that Mike Hoffman has, has very silently slipped out of that conversation for the time being. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I don't, I don't, I, I don't know how many of those bodies they're going to move out this season. Yes. I don't know if you've looked at cap friendly, nobody has any cap space and I know you get more it's prorated, blah, blah, whatever. People expecting a Josh Anderson move mid season. I think you should temper your expectations. Like no one has five and a half million dollars in cap space unless we're eating a bad deal in return. Yeah. And and that's going to be the thing they're going to have to do, right? Is they're going to have to get creative. You might have to do, sorry, three team trades, Mm -hmm. you know, you'll have to eat salary coming back, whether it's expiring or not. There'll be another like the Donov situation for next year. Because frankly, I know people want this rebuild to go quickly. I don't think we're in for a massive improvement next season i think that we're gonna see like on the upshot between like 75 and 80 points which i think they were on pace for 77 a few games ago and that's dropped now this year like it's easy to get caught up in a winning streak or a hot streak for a player but folks have to remember that last season the canadians had what 22 total wins they lost 60 times. Yeah. You know, like, 
they finished the so season. We're never going to do that again. But no, no, no. It won't be improvement this year. Yeah, it, it won't be that bad. But like they had fifty-five points. So if they were to actually finish with seventy-seven points this year, a twenty-two point improvement is almost unheard of. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it's a massive, massive deal. So it's going to be a gradual improvement, and it's just like uh, with Slavkovsky, right? Like. I've seen, <coughs> sorry, I'm just getting over something. Get through it. You're all right. As per always. But uh, <laughs> people are questioning, like, uh, Slavkovsky's development path. It's not linear, right? No. There's going to be stretches where he struggles a little bit. He's an 18-year-old playing in the NHL, and, like, frankly, he probably <clears throat> shouldn't have started here. I think no. they should have sent him to the American Hockey League uh, to start out the season see if he builds his confidence up and have like a second half situation, but he's working yeah. with the skills coaches every day. We see him developing pro habits. <clears throat> I'm not concerned about him, but I understand that people don't get the path that he's on. Um, but it's, he's not a guy who I expect to break out and score 20 in the second half of the season. Like Cole Caulfield did last year. You know, it's, it's not that, yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> cases she has flashbacks to Coke Kanyemi. Yeah, well I think Slavkovsky has a lot more confidence than Coke Kanyemi did, and the organization now I think will jerk him around a lot less. Yeah. Like if they were to make the playoffs, I don't think he'd be scratched in game one. No, and I'm I'm trying my best to not hold this front office accountable for the sins of the last one. Yeah. Um it's you know, as much as it's like, you know, we're trying to draw comparisons to how things are and Slavkovsky, you know, we're, we're, we're not seeing the, you know, the immediate impact that we're kind of associating with a first overall draft pick, but you know, you just have the, the Canadians got the first overall pick in a, in a season that was, you know, developmentally absolutely ruined by COVID. Yeah. Like there were, was there any OHL players taken in the first round? I think there was like one, maybe one Shane, right? But, Oh yeah. Other than Shane Wright, I don't think there was many. Like, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's just like he's not a prototypical first round, first overall pick. I I kind of understood at the beginning of the season the argument to to saying you're going to go back to Finland and play for Turkey. Like, but I kind of understood. I wasn't on that team, but if they had sent him there, I wouldn't have been, you know, confused about it. The idea would would have been to just you go play there. We're not. You're not going to be bothered by being a Montreal Canadian, go be Yuri Slavkovsky in Finland, you know, play your game, learn your game, come here next year, we'll figure it out then. But I also see the benefits to keeping him in the NHL at the moment. He's not going to learn NHL hockey playing in Finland. Yeah, He's not even really going to learn it in the AHL. It's, it's, not, it's not a direct comparison because as we've seen, players can dominate at the American Hockey League and they come up to the AHL or the NHL and they just don't, they don't have the same type of play. Um, I'm not worried about him yet. I'm not. I don't want to draw that that Kotkaniemi comparison just yet. Um, but you know, it gets it gets late early, right? Like they we'll we'll see pretty soon. Not this year, maybe not even next year. But like, look look at the Rangers right now with Alexi Lafreniere. Like they're starting to they're starting to think about that a little bit. I don't know if they're going to move him. I think people are. Jumping the gun, saying he's coming to Montreal, but that's <laughs> what else is new. Um, At this point, what would you even trade for him? Like, I, it, I would not be giving up a lot. No, and the Rangers. Why would the Rangers trade him for not a lot? 
right? Like there's no, there's no, there's no incentive for them to do that unless he's disgruntled and wants to leave. Yeah. And even so he's under team control. Tough. You got to play here. Um, he'll just be available the same time Pierre-Luc Dubois is, and they'll just both come to Montreal's free agents. It'll be fun. <laughs> As always, <clears throat> Montreal, the free agent destination of choice for everyone. All right. Uh, I think we've beat that game to death. Uh, we tried harder than the Montreal Canadiens to make uh, something out of it, unfortunately, except for a few guys. But uh, mm-hmm. overall, brutal set of back-to-backs for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, I will not see everyone until the new year. For this show, I am next hosting on the 3rd of January, I believe, where I'll be joined by the Eric Young and Chris Meany from the Fantasy Sports Network to talk about the Predators. That's not the Subban game. I'm still debating for the 12th of January, which I think you're on for, Ian, as well, of getting tickets and going to that game and forcing Mark to do that one. Not sure yet. I have to check my bank account after how much I spent on the kids <laughs> on Christmas, but uh, I might I might have to be mature and not go to that one. But uh, I I want to see the whole healing between Subban and the Montreal Canadiens organization. I don't know if you saw Ian the uh, interview that he did <coughs> that kind of made the rounds earlier this week, but it was fantastic. No, I missed. I'll have to check that out. It was the most honest and raw he's been talking about his time in Montreal that I've ever seen. Hmm. And uh, he let some things slip there that frankly don't look good on the organization. And it, it was, it was very interesting, but uh, yeah. So everyone happy new year, happy holidays. Mark will host the next show on new year's Eve, but it'll be during the day, obviously a 4 PM start against the Washington capitals. And he's going to take all of your <clears throat> end of the year questions, comments, Maybe bring up a like top 10 list or something of the best Habs moments and the worst Habs year <laughs> in a long time. But uh, thanks, everyone. I'm going to stop coughing in your ears now. Uh, enjoy your new year, and uh, I'll see you next week. Thanks, Ian, as well. <laughs> Peace out. Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction. Canada Sportsbook.